Welcome to the Anchor Church Podcast. Each week, we'll bring you the teaching from our central campus. We hope it's an encouragement to you. Thanks for listening. Throughout this teaching series, we've been looking at this concept of identity. Uh, The idea of like, who am I, as you just heard, like it plays in the background or the foreground of our thoughts, our relationships, uh, even like while we're sleeping in our dreams, this who am I is always with us. And the challenge is that identity, as it's often seen in our current moment, uh, rests on our ability to create or to accomplish. Think about it. Like our finances that we have or the finances that we don't have and we want speak back into us about who we understand ourselves to be. Or maybe it's not the finances that you feel most kind of like uh, immediately. Maybe it's fame, like notoriety, the desire to be seen as great in your field or in your family or some other area. Our desire for that or experience of it speaks back into us about who we understand ourselves to be. Or it's the crafted and curated images that we present, the professions we have or the professions that we want, the looks and the beauty that we have or that we want. Even our convictions, like our things that we believe are true and important, we admittedly adjust them to make ourselves like, look cool or presentable or palatable, depending on the crowd that we're in, or depending on your personality type. Maybe you just like punk rockishly reveal yourself to be antagonistic to whoever you're with because who cares? I am who I am. Take that. With all of these competing and overlapping elements of our identity, it can leave us feeling like we're constantly in this place of static where we're never quite able to get the picture of who I actually am. And for some of us, maybe like we've even checked out on the whole like desire to understand who I am because it's such a vexed thing in the first place, so I'm maybe not even going to try. When I was growing up, we didn't have cable, and um, we had a 13-inch television, uh, and we had bunny ears. Um, Anybody feel what I'm saying right now? And so I was constantly adjusting those bunny ears to try to get a clear picture of Q13 because Fox had The Simpsons and I wanted to watch The Simpsons and I could never get a clear picture, but I was always fiddling around with those bunny ears so I could get a clear picture. For those of us that are trying to find and found our identity according to the world's scripts, we are like the childhood Brian, constantly adjusting our presentation of ourself, but never getting a clear picture. For those of you that didn't grow up with bunny ears uh, or maybe even TV, hashtag streaming devices, maybe it's more relevant, it's that Wi-Fi signal that's so weak and you keep on hitting refresh and it just gives you that swirling pinwheel of death. That's what it is to found and find our identity according to the world's script. So over the last few weeks, we've been trying to go a different route. Rather than the static of who am I, we've been trying to show you that your identity can be like a tree. Every tree begins as a seed, and if you look at a seed, you would never really believe that that seed could become like the trees you see. 
But every tree finds its strength and source of identity by putting roots down deep. And the only way it's able to grow up and to bear fruit is by putting roots down deeper and deeper. So over the last six weeks, we've been wanting to give you roots. In a world of static regarding the question of identity, we've been wanting to give you roots. Roots that go down deep and are described like by the image of God, that you're created by the image of God. Who am I? Well, you're made in the image of God. And when that root goes down deep, it starts to give you structure and support to understand who I am in the midst of a crazy, moving, tempestuous world. But it keeps going, that we are unfortunately not just bearers of the image of God, but we're also bearers of sin, that sin marks our lives and it affects us in ways with any level of self-awareness we can honestly say yes to. And in any sense of somebody saying, no, sin doesn't affect me, they're really just not that self-aware. Brokenness affects us all. But fortunately, our identity goes farther. It doesn't stop at those two things. It enters into, for those of us who have said yes to Jesus, into our identity being rooted and founded in Jesus himself as we are made new by what he has done on our behalf, that the image of God is restored by the work of Jesus. This third root goes down into the ground and gives us the source of strength to last through all the seasons that the world would throw at us. But it goes farther that the spirit Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, for those of us that are in Christ, causes us to grow in gifts and so that we offer something to the world and to God's people and that we bear spiritual fruit so that we look more and more like Jesus himself. And also there's this fifth root of that we are, because of Christ's work, God's kids like we talked about last week, that we can have a relationship with this omnipotent God and be able to refer to him as Father. And today we're talking about this sixth root of community and identity. Community and identity. This is a little countercultural because for like many of us, if you were to ask somebody about who you are, we would oftentimes talk about our identity, our pursuit for who we are, our accomplishment of who we are, our description of who we are is something that's a, a self-creative, autonomous project that is oftentimes understood in contrast to the family of origin I grew up with or some other group. No, I'm my own unique person. But scripture presents a reality where community and identity are intertwined and connected. We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 2, but, uh, and we'll have it on the screen. But what, before we get to Acts chapter 2, I want to talk maybe for those of us who are new to the scriptures, like what is this book of Acts? The book of Acts is the book in the, in the New Testament, the fifth book in the New Testament. And it is this, this book that describes the unstoppable, irresistible Jesus movement as it begins with this ragtag group of 12 and expands as the spirit of God empowers this small group of disciples. And so it stretches out and goes forward and goes farther into uncharted territory until the end of the book of Acts. And in Acts chapter 28, we see that this Jesus movement is going places. 
And so we pick it up right in the beginning, in the second chapter, when this church community is still young, and we're going to be reading in verses 42 to 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold their property and possessions to give it to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. And they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Okay, we're going to do something revolutionary through this teaching. We're going to go like word by word through a couple of these points here. And so the very first part that I want us to look at is this first word, they. They. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. You know what the Greek word is for they? I found this really interesting when I was studying in preparation uh, for this morning. The Greek word for they actually, you might want to take a breath or something like that. It actually means, get this, they. (laughs) They. The second person, plural. When I was in high school, my senior year, I ran cross country. And... um, one of the parents of a cross-country team uh, donated a large amount of money so that our whole team could have, like, new dope uniforms. Like, like the, not just the uniforms, but the sweatsuits, you know, you're running in before. And so we got, like, some great... You, we, were like, we, were, we were not as good as a lot of teams, but we definitely had the best. We were voted best dressed, you know? And uh, I remember the beginning of the meets, like the first few meets, like we, like we didn't have a lot of symmetry. We didn't have a lot of connection on the team. And so we would warm up in groups of ones and twos. And you would, if you looked at this team, you actually couldn't find the team because we were scattered around in kind of smaller subgroups and smaller friend groups. And I remember our coach saying, he's like saying like, you guys are not acting like a team, there doesn't seem like there's a they there. There's a bunch of different little subgroups and pockets and, and little friend, little niche groups, but there's not a they here. And so you have these great uniforms, but like you're, 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 they're actually not visible. You gotta recognize that you're a team, that you are a they. You may be different people, have different ages, have different preferences and personalities, but when you are running this race, you're preparing together as a they. I remember um, throughout the rest of our time that season, my senior year, we warmed up all together. And we didn't still win a lot of meets, but we sure looked intimidating right there at the beginning of the race. We looked like a they. They. They is a powerful word. Jesus in the Gospel of John, he says, they will know you by your love, which is important for us to understand. Like if you look at that verse, you're pressing into it. Jesus is talking about there are two groups. There's an outside observing group. There's a group that's witnessing and watching. And then there's a group of people that are committed to Jesus. And the group that's committed to Jesus, Jesus says, is that, that, that like see, they see love when they're watching you, or that at least they should see love when they're watching you. There's 
is something observable about you that unites you and makes you distinct from everyone else. There is an overwhelming amount of love. What Jesus is saying here is that there's a they. There's a collective. There's a community. There is a group of people that share in certain things that make significant connection between the group, and it's observable. There isn't division. There's not people running around in different places. There is a they. For Jesus followers, um, you know, we could substitute, not to change the Lord's words, um, but we could substitute. They would know us by our love, but also they would know us by our commitment to truth. They would know us by our generosity. They would know us by our desire to grow in our relationship with God. There are certain things that, that, the, that people should be able to say that are distinct about us as Jesus' followers that make us a they. Some of these qualities are invisible. Like that... Jesus followers, the Jesus followers in the room have been impacted by the power of the Spirit to, to the point where we recognize our brokenness and we recognize God's provision in Christ that, that he gave us what we could not do for ourselves so that we could come into relationship with God. And so that work is an invisible work. But then there manifests invisible things like shows up in our desire to love each other and to love the world, to press into our relationship with Jesus because if he, if he demonstrated his love for us while we were yet sinners, we, we want to we press in and understand more. And So it shows up, this invisible thing that we all share as Jesus followers manifests invisible things. And today, at the end of the teaching, we're actually looking at, at we're going to be practicing two of like the most like very practical, visible things that connect every one of us as Jesus followers. The first is baptism. Baptism. So we'll have one baptism today after the teaching and a few more after the second gathering. And then the second thing is communion. We do this every week here at Anchor. And I love that these two like visible things that connect every one of us as Jesus followers, I love these two things I want to, just because they both tell the same story. Paul, writing to the Romans, he's, he's saying, he says in the Book of Romans, he says that in baptism, when you, when you go down under the water, you're participating in Christ's death. And as you come out of the water, you're participating in his resurrection. And so anybody that's a follower of Jesus should, should visibly communicate their, their connection to him by going under the water and coming out of the water. And this is something we all share. The second is communion. And, and when you come forward for the lines of communion or the lines of communion, you'll hear Christ's body given for you, Christ's blood shed for you. Both of these things communicate, baptism and, communic and communion, they communicate the same thing. And I love it because like everybody, everyone walks into this building having, uh, you know, a certain socioeconomic status, a certain ethnicity, a certain voting record, a certain part of town that we live in, or if you're watching online, some other town that you're living in. 
But when we come under the waters of baptism, it's like all of those things that may separate us slip into the background. And I am a person that has gone under the waters. And I am a person that has come out of the water. My old life is gone. I am united to Jesus. And for those of us that get in line for communion today and we find our way forward and we hear Christ's body given for you, Christ's blood shed for you, you came in a person with all these different senses of who I am and what I am and blah, 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 blah. But when you come forward, there's level ground. And everybody here is Christ's body given for you. And everybody here is Christ's blood shed for you. This is this very visible description of who we are, this shared reality that we all walk forward and hear the same words. There is no preferential treatment for any type of person, and there is no bottom shelf treatment for another type of person. We all hear those words. These are things that make us a they. Remember when we first uh, launched Anchor, we were experiencing some fun growth and it was uh, cool and exciting. And then I remember some conversations where we would ask, um, does it feel like everybody's just checking us out? Who, who's connected and who's, who's, who's like a part of this thing? And we were unsure because there's all these people kind of window shopping for church and kicking the tires, so to speak, of anchor. Uh, and it was cool to see that kind of like window shopping become slowly this community where people were saying, this is a they, These are my, this is my community. And it kind of happened again where things shuffled with the pandemic the last couple of years. And it's cool to see it again, like people settling, like this is my community. This is, it's cool to see a they happening here in this place. Well, it goes on, a passage of scripture, it says, they devoted, they devoted. So it's not just a community, it's not just a people that like each other, that like hanging out with each other, but it's, there's a level of, of devotion that's present within the community. The word devotion or de devoted there simply means to persist in the face of opposition. To not let the wind move you from going forward, but to keep going forward even if there is opposition. Think about this. Anything that's worthwhile requires enduring a bit of opposition. Candace, uh, my wife and I, we, last Sunday, so a week ago today, we celebrated um, our 18, 18 years of marriage. Uh, yeah. You don't have to clap, but, you, but um, I'll continue to receive that. Um, uh, so we joke and say our, our, our marriage can gamble and smoke now. Um, <laughs> and vote, and vote. Um, but you don't get, and anybody that's been married for that time, amount of time or longer, you don't get to that mark in time without enduring some opposition. 
And sometimes the opposition is inside of myself as I'm realizing I'm selfish and I need to relax my grip on what I prefer so that I can love this other person with a different personality and with different interests and different desires. Sometimes that's part of it. And sometimes it's something that happens, that happens to both of us where it's difficult and challenging and we have to press in and move forward in the face of opposition as we're walking together. Anything of significance is worth enduring opposition for. We say at Anchor, at our Anchor Track, which is this kind of like Saturday morning gathering that we do quarterly where we help people understand the theological convictions we have here and, and the values and we go uh, do a deep dive and all that stuff. We say that nothing of significance happens without a corresponding level of commitment. I'll read that again because it's important for us to all hear and understand. Nothing of significance happens without a corresponding level of commitment. Meaning that if you want to see significant things happen, get ready to endure and press in. Like think about it. No, no civil rights movement happened. No legislation for civil rights happened without people that were saying yes this is necessary and important. No healthy marriage happened without two people saying, yes, this is significant and important. I will commit to this thing. In a landscape that's admittedly commitment phobic, the commitment phobic tendencies of our culture only keep the culture from greatness. Greatness is only happens through enduring and persistence, and devotion. I would just invite us here at Anchor to like sit with that. Nothing of significance happens without a corresponding level of commitment. They, they, there was a community, there was a group of people that was distinguishable, that was visible. You could watch them and witness them. It was clear they shared some things in common, but they were devoted. They were committed. What were they devoted to? They were devoted to a couple things that are incredibly important. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. These are, these are, things that we're going to look at. So, okay, the apostles' teaching. What is that? The truth of God. This, this they, this community was committed to the truth of God. They were remembering words from Jesus and letting those words from Jesus as they had firsthand interactions with Jesus, letting those words from Jesus define their understanding of reality and their understanding of ethics and their understanding of relationships and their understanding of marriage. They're letting those words from Jesus show up in their life. They were committed to the apostles' teaching. Peter said that Jesus said this, this is what we we are embracing into our lives. They were committed. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. This is interesting because like looking around, there was evidence to the contrary. Rome looked powerful. On the back of the coin, it was Caesar's head. And everywhere around, they saw Roman power. But in contrast to everything they saw, they were committed to the reality that God was in charge and that God was sovereign and that he saw fit to send his son so that his son might bear our sin on our behalf to give us his righteousness. They were committed to the apostles' teaching. They were committed. They were devoted to it. We could 
do well to recall and understand and see how this is significant for us in a landscape where everybody has their own truth and has their own ideas. The disciples, the early church gives us this picture of that, that they were committed to the truth of God. But it didn't stop there. They were also committed to the people of God. Committed. They didn't have the language of personality types back then, but certainly there were different personality types. They were introverts and extroverts, Enneagram 6, Wing 5, and Enneagram 3, Wing 4, and ENFGJs, and all sorts of other things. But that didn't matter that much. Didn't keep them from the commitment to each other. Fellowship is the word here. Uh, is hard. If anybody um, thinks fellowship is easy, they haven't hung around another person long enough. Right? It would be easier, let's be honest, to just kind of have a couple glasses of wine by, and, and watch Netflix every evening by ourselves. Some of us think that's a nightmare and uh, some of us think that's a dream, you know. But be around somebody else for long enough and you will recognize that relationships are difficult because not everyone sees the same thing exactly like you see it. But these disciples, they were committed to the truth of God, but also the people of God. And in so doing, they were like committed to Jesus' words. He says, what's the first greatest commandment? To love God with all your heart, soul, strength, mind, and everything else. And what's the second one? To love your neighbor as yourself, God and others. When you watched them, you saw this. But it wasn't just the truth of God and the people of God. It was also God-centered practices. It says the breaking of bread and prayer. And many scholars believe that reference to the breaking of bread is actually a reference to communion. So that they were, con- they were, they were committed to sharing in these practices together. Communion and prayer, meeting together. Um, it's hard for us to grow in our, the knowledge of God unless we have God-centered practices that keep us connected to God. It's hard for us to experience the presence of God if we don't have God-centered practices that lead us into the presence of God, that don't work on our muscles, our mental energy, our, 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 our dis- disciplines that work their way into our heart so that we start to take different shape. Disciplines affect us, not just something we do, but it starts to shape who we are. And um, they were committed to, to to, to taking communion as an experience of, of discipline and devotion and obedience, but also of pressing into the presence of God and also of prayer. I want to be transparent that this is something that I constantly have to work on myself about. I want to wake up in the morning and, and, and rush to scripture and rush to my journal. Not all of us are journalers, but I happen to be a journaler. And, but oftentimes I'm finding myself rushing to my phone and this little update that happened on my iPhone recently says, here's the apps you prefer in the morning. And um, Instagram, ah, curse you. I was reading um, a few months ago about... Uh, how this tendency we have to open up that 
any social networking app in the morning, all of a sudden it starts to kind of like try to communicate this is who you are, this is how valued you are by the notifications that you have or don't have. If you have a lot, current, clearly people think that you're great unless you said something terrible and they're giving, it's hate mail. If you have none, clearly that what you said or didn't say didn't resonate. And so when we run to that in the morning, all of a sudden it sets our tone for the day and our value and our identity is informed by this weird funhouse mirror called social media. So the writer I was reading said, what if you started your day on your knees and you just stayed on your knees until you felt the delight of the Father? Anchor, how, I, I believe that significant things will happen if we all committed to being people that had God-centered practices that showed up in our public life with communion and also showed up in our private life, staying on our knees in the morning until we felt the delight of the Father. This passage goes on. It says, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is typically the passage that gets us excited when we, this, that when we read this section of scripture, we read about miracles, we read about radical generosity, we read about profound alignment, and we read about constant growth. This stuff is exciting. This stuff is the money-making stuff. It's rad, but here's the thing. That's not what the disciples were devoted to. The disciples were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to fellowship, and to prayer. And it's out of their commitment and their devotion to those things that miracles start to happen. A mentor long ago told me that when you pursue miracles, not much happens. When you pursue Jesus, sometimes miracles happen. You pursue the, you, you, the God stuff leads to the good stuff. If we pursue the God stuff, if we, or if we pursue the good stuff, if we just like, I, we're pursuing miracles, we want miracles, or if we're pursuing profound alignment, everybody has to do the right thing and the same thing, or if we're pursuing radical generosity, everybody has to give so much of their income. If, if that's what we're pursuing, we will create a toxic environment that's incredibly legalistic because it'll be about, we have to do something, we have to force it, we have to do it. But if we pursue the apostles, teaching, if we pursue breaking of bread, if we pursue a love for each other, if we pursue prayer, we will see great things happen. And when we reverse it, we'll see tragic things happen. We have to be people that run after Jesus. And when we run after Jesus, we'll see awesome things in the wake of that. I just, I see um, as the, the band comes up um, at this point, I see the glimpses of this happening here. And I don't want us to say, hey, look at us, we're the rubber stamp acts too, we finally arrived, that's not at all. All of us know that there's a long ways for all of us to go for here at Anchor. But I do see glimpses of, of a community that's devoted themselves to the things that this community has devoted themselves to and are starting to see the fruit of that devotion. We see I, I, at a listening prayer, we did this event, this listening prayer event that Susan, our pastor of spiritual formation, uh, led. And, um, and we've done other things like this 
this in the recent past. And in this space, there's 60 or 70 people here. And in the quiet of us pressing and listening prayer together, desiring to hear the voice of God for our own life, there's like this trademark sound that God was moving. It was this. You know what I'm talking about? The sniffles that suggest that there's probably a couple glassy eyes in the house. It doesn't mean that if God moves, there's tears, but oftentimes when God moves, there are tears. And for some of us who like don't like the idea of tears, I'm sorry, it's just part of it. Because oftentimes when God moves in significant ways, he touches us on, in areas in our life that are tender. So for me, that was a witness of us starting to see some of those miracles, maybe not the loud, like bombastic type of miracles, but they were miracles because they're God moving in this place. When we brought our friends from the Ukraine up a few months ago, um, they said they needed a bunk bed and within 20 minutes, six bunk beds were offered. And because they didn't need six bunk beds, uh, uh, some of those bunk beds became help with their car or, or something else, help with whatever else. And one family said, we've got their rent covered as long as they need the rent covered. And, and they're actually sadly kind of moving back to, the, to, to Europe because that's just a better situation for their family. Um, but what I saw there, mobilized by you people, and it's demonstrated in other ways as well. What I saw there is that this is a community that is committed to Jesus. And from that, there's radical generosity that's happening. There's the selling of stocks. There's the giving of finances. There's other examples too. But I say that only as an encouragement for those of us here at the last week of this Kingdom Catechism teaching series. Let us be a they. Let us be a they. Not just a group of people that happen to be in the same room, but let us be a they. Let us be a community that persists in the face of opposition, whether it's happening internally or out there. Let us be a community that is devoted to the things that that early church is devoted to. And from that, let us watch what God will do. And this is just a small, maybe glimpse, just with baptisms today. We have the joy of our worship pastor, Pete's daughter, youngest daughter, Laurel, being baptized. Baptism is this. It's just a visible representation of the internal work that Jesus has done. As we go under the waters, as she goes under the waters, she'll be identifying with Jesus' death. And as she comes out of the water, she's identifying with, with Jesus' resurrection. Every one of us who's a Jesus follower is commanded to be baptized. And so with this first baptism this morning, we're seeing somebody saying yes to the path that Jesus has prescribed.